The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 104.5 FM, 103.5 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and 1077 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Well, lots of things are going on in technology. We've got an idea of the week. Okay. They can detect live skin, which they need for real face scans if they want to do face ID. Okay. And so they've developed a way to do that. Live skin. Yeah, as opposed to having a mask with the shape of your face. So people are are trying to fake out face recognition with with masks. Yes. And And it works. And it works. I hadn't even thought about this. The tip of the week. This is fascinating. Tip of the week. Magnetizing your screwdriver. Mm -hmm. And this week we're going to feature Dr. Lawrence Gordon Tesler. He is an expert on computer user interfaces. He was out in Silicon Valley. He worked at Xerox Xerox Park Labs. He worked at Apple. And he was, uh, among other things, the inventor of the cut and paste technique, as well as many other techniques that we have in computers. That we take for granted. That's right. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Tom Shum. Dear Tech Talk, once when I was younger, I actually won a radio contest, but didn't want the prize, so I didn't, and they didn't like it. And so I didn't take the prize. (laughs) He didn't like the prize, so he didn't take it? He didn't take it. He says, you know, I listen to your radio show every day, and I've already gotten one prize, and I don't really need another one. He says, I could call in, but I just don't. But he says, I want you to know, I wouldn't miss a single one of your shows. That's kind. But I wanted you to know that I'm listening, and I'm a loyal listener every single Saturday. And then Tom went on. He's a kind of a physicist sort of guy. He went on to the long discussion about the cat whisker radio. Remember, we, 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 yes. we, we, we talked about the transistor radio. So the cat whisker, whisker radio, it, it sort of brought back memories. They take a, a slug of, of a galena which is actually uh, has germanium in it, as well as a lot of other pure impurities. And then you solder that into the circuit, and then you take a, a pointed wire and put it on the other side. And the, where the point hits the galena, you have what they call a diode effect, where power can go, where a, a current can go in one direction, but not the other. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that diode rectifies the radio signal that's coming in because the radio signal oscillates back and forth and the diode rectifies it so you end up getting a current coming out of the little cat whisker and you send that current to a small speaker and you can listen to the radio waves that have been rectified and so that's it doesn't amplify it if you want to amplify you need a transistor but it, it allows you to rectify radio waves and you sort of and i used to play around with those little 
little um, uh, little uh, cat whisker cat whisker radios. And I I, I grew up in Kansas, and they, there was a town in Kansas called Galena, Kansas, and they mined Galena. And I used to go over to the Galena mines and pick up my own Galena. Right there in Galena, Kansas. I didn't. That's interesting. We didn't talk about this when we were talking. No, about- we didn't. It's you know. Well, well, Tom's uh, Tom's email sort of brought all that back up, ah. and I remember they. Uh, I was these mines were I, I think very dangerous and they were worried about you know cave-ins and so they had them blocked off, no people allowed, and I'd have to sneak past all the barriers to get into the mining area, which were closed at the time actually, but they call Galena the oldest mining town in Kansas. And so that's where that was the source of the actual Galena that was using these cat whisker radios. Interesting. So uh, yeah, memories uh, memories came back to me sneaking in there, like the corners of our mind. Yeah, I'd, I think my parents would not have a li- liked me going over there to those Galena mines. Probably not. We got an email from Bob in Maryland, dear Doc and Jim, um, and the highlight of every show, Mister Big Voice. Yes, he is he's, he's, certainly. <laughs> the highlight is whether or not he's going to show up and speak English. I love the show on February 15th. You did a great job talking about Cecil Green. I have no idea the proper way to pronounce Cecil Green's first name, but I can tell you he would pronounce it at work Cecil. And his wife, Ida, and all of his friends called him Cecil. Now, maybe his British friends called him Cecil, but all the American friends called him Cecil. So I just thought you would like to know. Interesting. <laughs> so, so actually, Bob in Maryland actually knew we, him. We were having quite a discussion about this. Yes, we were. We got an email from Don in Alexandria. Dear Tech Talk, is it possible to save money by building your own laptop? I'd like, <laughs> man, that's <laughs> even you oh. know that answer. <laughs> uh, even thanks a lot for the book. I'd like. Even I know that answer. I would like an interesting well, how project. How about you run this board and I'll go down to Starbucks? <laughs> well. <clears throat> It's really not possible to save money by building your own laptop. You're better off just buying one retail. Because unlike desktop computers, laptops are constructed for, for are constructed from proprietary parts. They aren't standard. There are no uniform interfaces. So the pieces that you would get for a laptop are really made for a particular case, the form factor of a particular case. So you really, um, really would not be able to build one from scratch very easily. There is a bare-bones laptop kit, by the way, if you really want to do that. You, it has all the, the components, the interfaces that fit inside the case for you. Everything's there except the CPU, the RAM, and the hard drive. But by the time, you're, by the time you buy the bare-bone case and by the time you buy the CPU, the RAM, and the solid-state hard drive, and then, of course, you have to buy a Windows license, you will spend significantly more than you would just by buying your own buying your own laptop. Now, if you're building a desktop, that's a different story. You can build a desktop because they've got those those uniform buses in there, and you can put cards in it. My son built quite a few desktop computers quite successfully. He he learned a lot about specs and design. You see, the most difficult thing is you you know you if you build. From desktop, you got to pick out your components. So you don't want to have one component that's really fast and another one that's slow. You want them all roughly matched so that you, you get good performance and it'll overpay for one part with, with performance that can't be used. So he spent a lot of time learning about specifications. He put together, you know, two or three. He had a good time. He saved a, a little bit of money. The hardest thing he had when he was building his desktop computers was mounting the CPU on the motherboard. Because the CPU, you have to put thermal paste underneath it, 
And if you put too much on it, it shorts the contacts. If you don't put enough on it, the, the CPU gets too hot and burns out. So he had trouble doing that. He actually ruined one CPU because he didn't put, put enough thermal paste on it, and the thing just burned up. Now, once he ruined his first CPU, the rest of them he could do. But that was the hardest thing. You can buy motherboards with the CPU already mounted and the thermal paste taken care of. So maybe if you've got a youngster and they're building a desktop, maybe for their first computer, get them a, a motherboard with the CPU already mounted, and then everything else is just sort of plug and play, easy to put together. And it is fun, and mm -hmm. you do learn a lot. But after he built two or three, that was about it. He just buys his computers because actually it's cheaper to get to get computers already pre-assembled and bought. We got an email from Herb in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, I've heard that hackers are using rogue apps and other kinds of malware to spy on folks via their Windows computer webcams. I've even heard they're spying on them with their microphones as well. Is there anything mm. I can do to the, reduce this risk? Well, Microsoft actually recognized that threat. And that is true. There is malware that, that can connect to your microphone and people can listen in to you what's going on. So they added a new setting to the Windows 10 recent build that will handle it itself. And you can actually turn off access to the webcam or you can turn off access to the microphone and that way not even Windows or a rogue amp or a rogue application can get to it. You click on the start button and then hit the settings icon, that little gear there. And then <clears throat> scroll down to the bottom. It says something called privacy. Click on privacy. And you can choose webcam or you can choose microphone. And, and the example we'll give is microphone. Click on microphone. And under microphone, there's a little toggle switch that says microphone access to this device is either on or off. And you just simply turn it off. And if you do that, uh, even rogue software cannot get in and turn on your microphone. So that's actually a good feature that Windows, Microsoft Windows added in order to protect you from that rogue software. We got an email from John in Manassas. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm not a really a pro, pro photographer or anything, but I love taking a lot of pictures, and i got boatloads of them. I've got a Canon PowerShot camera with two SD cards, and I'll, and I'll fill up one SD card and then swap in the other one and just go back and forth, and then I'll, then I'll take the, the full one and I'll copy the pictures to an external hard drive. Now, what happened was I actually... <clears throat> accidentally got them mixed up, and I formatted the SD card that was full of pictures. And now I can't access those pictures. Is there any way I can fix this? John in Manassas, help. Well, <clears throat> John, we actually covered uh, the software that we re recommend here before. This is this question's coming before. Um, there's a great file utility, recovery utility called Recover. Yes, so it sounds we like about this. we talked about it. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like it's a southern sounds like southern Recover. software, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Recover. Now Recover will scan your memory card to compile an inventory of all the files that haven't been overwritten since your card was last formatted. Most, if not all, your photos can be recovered since you actually haven't written anything to the SD drive since you reformatted it. So I'd say all your photos will be there. So you can uh, you can download Recover. And uh, and then you will uh, you you know you can go through the process. I think you will get back all your pictures. Now, if you go to Recover, it's uh, it's shareware and it's available at a lot of download sites. Uh, the trouble with many download sites that have free software is that they might put some malware. They might embed some malware in it, and you you, you don't mm -hmm. know whether it's really clean or not. 
But there's one site that I kind of like, oldergeeks.com. <laughs> this, this is a couple, and they scan all the software, the free software that's available for download, and they make certain that their versions of it do not have any malware. See, because these download sites get paid a commission if they get you to download uh, software that's infected with malware. Mm-hmm. So you can go to oldergeeks.com, and then you can search for, on their site, search for Recover and download it there. And I think you'll have a safe copy of it. And good luck getting back your photos. We got an email from Sharon in Richmond. Dear Tech Talk, why can't I get Facebook or Pinterest to load while I'm at work? I use the same laptop uh, at home. I think I know why. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything works great at home, but I work, go to work, boom. No, I can't, you can't mess around at work. I can't get Facebook. I can't get Pinterest. Everything else loads. What's wrong? What can I do to fix this problem? Should I get a new job? Yeah. Okay. The fact that Pinterest and Facebook load just fine when you're at home and not at work means it's not your laptop. Mm-hmm. You probably have come up against a policy of your company's IT department. The firewall. That blocks all social media. Many companies are doing this nowadays. They probably are also blocking Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Now, I wouldn't ask your IT company if they're doing no. this because then they're going to know that you're one of those people that just goofs off using social media. That's like saying, hey, I just <clears> went <throat> through that red light over there. So so what Sharon said, she says, now it said that the, that, the, that the website's not available. So then she said in her letter, I snuck into the bathroom and opened up my cell phone and I could get Facebook on my cell phone. So I know that Facebook really wasn't down. I think there's a deeper <laughs> problem here. We can't get off Facebook for eight hours a day. She can't get off Facebook, yeah. and then and they don't get. So now she's in the bathroom in the toilet stall, looking at Facebook on her on her iPhone. Yeah, there. You know, I'm thinking that actually indicates a serious problem. Yes. So we and we're here to intervene. We we need we need to do we are and so Facebook interventions. I think what you have to do is. Uh, just forget it while you're at work. I think that is your best yeah. option. We got an email. By the way, don't download porn either. No, no, porn. no. That's, that's probably blocked too, I would suspect. <laughs> yeah, I would but but so. don't check it because they'll log who's been checking that one. Uh-huh. We got an email from Marianne in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, I travel internationally and have many contacts from around the world on WhatsApp. One person keeps sending me annoying text messages. I've ignored them, but now I'd like to block them. Is there any way I can do this with WhatsApp? Because this guy's just getting on my nerves. Love the show when I have time to listen. Marianne and Fairfax. Is this a Marianne that we know? Yeah. Now notice this. She says, when I have time when, to listen. I was going to say that was the tip <laughs> off. When I have time when to I listen. When I have time to listen because listening is not always available because there are just too many other activities that just seem to be wait, more important wait, than Tech Talk. You can listen to us anytime, anywhere. TikTok oh. is omnipresent. She told me she only likes it live. And then she always has appointments during the live thing. So, you know, I don't uh, know. You know. Okay, well, you can easily block messages on WhatsApp by blocking the number. You open up the WhatsApp on your phone, and if you have chat open, navigate back to the main chat screen. Select the settings icon at the bottom right screen, and then the count, and then privacy, and then blocked. And then you can tap add new. You're going to add a name to the block list. Choose the contact you wish to block. Now, you can also click on the name of a person sending a text chat or message, and then you can click on block contact. So if, you, if they're not on your contact list, you just right-click on the name of the person who sent you the message, and you can block it directly, and they don't even have to be on your contact list. So I've, WhatsApp has got that set up really easily. I'm just happy that Marianne still asks you for advice and will actually take it. Yeah. 
Well, well, of course, she may never she ne- may never hear this answer. <laughs> That's a very good point. You know, because she may never actually hear the answer. We got an email from Philip <laughs> in Kansas. Dear Tech Talk, myoutlook.com is putting legitimate emails into the junk mail folder. Huh. Seems very random, but some of my closest friends' emails are going to the junk folder and other legitimate, you know, as well as some other legitimate contacts. I, uh, you know, I, can I just not use Outlook do something to Outlook.com? What do I have to do to fix it? How can I stop this filtering? Well, you need to train your email filter. Now, what you do is periodically go to the junk mail and you find some junk down there that is uh, shouldn't be junk. You can just say not junk. And eventually, they will learn what you don't want to be declared as junk. Now, the safest way, if instead of because training takes a while, you'd have to get some in the junk mail. You have to find them, say it's not junk. It might take a few cycles to complete right. the training. You can also set up safe senders. And what you can do is you can you can basically go to go to settings and go to options, and then you've got blocked senders and safe senders. So you can click on safe senders. And then you can just add the names of the people who are sending you emails that you want to declare them as safe, and they will never be put in junk mail again. Huh. How about that? Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and now southwest of Washington on 107.7 FM HD2. In Loudoun County, listen to us on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Lawrence Gordon Tesler. Now, Lawrence Gordon Tesler, I mean, they called him Larry, actually. Only his mother called him Lawrence, Lawrence Gordon. Gordon. Yeah. We find that quite frequently in yeah, profiles yes, in IT. Yes, it is. So Larry Tesler is a computer scientist who worked in the field of human-computer interaction 
And he developed all sorts of techniques where people would interact with the computer. And the most famous is, uh, I suppose, cut and paste. And he did many, many other things, which I'll get into when we get down further in the profile. Tesla was born April 24, 1945, in the Bronx, New York City. Yo. He graduated from Bronx High School of Science in 1961. You could say the Bronx School of Hard Knocks. This, by the way, this Bronx High School of Science is the one that the girls couldn't get into. Remember that? We've, oh, had, we've right. had some yes. female profiles on IT, yeah. and they wouldn't let women. Back in 61, yeah. a woman could not enroll in this yeah. because they said science is for only girls. for men. Yeah, that's. Just, I think they've recovered from that for a long time Let's ago. Hope so. Yeah. But that, but the back then, that's what at, back then that was the situation at Columbia. Mm. At Columbia, he, he got accepted into a program at Columbia where he could work on a computer a half hour a week. <clears throat> One of their uh, big computer systems at Columbia University for half hour a week, and while he was in school, he taught him, himself programming. So he knew how to program before he went to college. Now, he was kind of a smart guy. He graduated from the Bronx High School of Science at age 16, and he was accepted at Stanford. So he, in 1961, he started Stanford, and he went out there and he got a, he, he got a degree in computer science and mathematics. He got a bachelor of a bachelor's degree, you know, majoring in computer science and mathematics in 1965. Now, while he was there working on his uh, bachelor's degree, he also worked at the Stanford Artificial Intelligence Lab, S-A-I-L. That's a convenient acronym, SAIL. It is. SAIL. And he worked there, and he, he co-designed a program called COMPEL, which was a functional programming language. And... Um, they also wanted him to create a way to to send a text message and have it print up as a fully printable document with all sorts of fonts and everything, you know, just with purely text. So he invented a new language called Pub, and this was recognized as one of the first markup languages. And a markup language is you put uh, tags on it, um, uh, at the front of a of a text string and at the end of a text string, and those tags tell the program what font it is, how to format it, and those are formatting tags. And so it's all text, but then you embed formatting tags around specific text, and when this is compiled and printed, the program then converts it into a formatted output document. So he was really quite ahead of his time. This same technique, by the way, is used for hypertext uh, language uh, for the web. HTML is hypertext meta language. That also uses tags, and that's how you format information on the web. So he actually invented this method of formatting. You know, very at the he was one of the first people to do it. One, he's one of these real innovators. He was accepted for a position at Park. Xerox it was a Xerox uh, research lab, Palo Alto Research Center, Palo Alto, California, P-A-R-K, uh, Park. You're batting a thousand on acronyms today. That's right. And so at the Palo Alto Research Center, these they had assembled a group of scientists that were ahead of their times, and they <clears throat> invented uh, they they invented the uh, you know the um, the uh, the mouse, the computer mouse where you could interact with the thing with icons, object-oriented programming languages where, you, where you'd have objects you could click on and they would do things. They, they invented the um, printers where you could print 
what we saw on the screen you printed uh, you printed right on the paper and they they invented uh, ethernet where you could network computers together these guys were way 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 ahead of their league in their time but they were owned by xerox and xerox said well we're just a copying company and they didn't know what to do with all this great technology <laughs> so most of the technology ended up you know being disseminated and being used by other companies in silicon valley like all of the all the font technology was uh, was the basis of Adobe when when Adobe started, mm-hmm. and so he was hired by Park, and the guy who hired him was Alan Kay. Alan Kay is the guy who invented the mouse that we use in the computers. We've featured him before on yes. Profiles in IT. Now, while Tesla was there, it's not Tesla, it's, it's Tesla. Yeah, I want to be sure about that. Larry Tesla. Uh, he worked on a word processor called Gypsy, uh, and then he also worked on the first dynamic object-oriented programming language, Smalltalk. Now, of course, objects means you have objects on the screen you can click on, and they're it's self-contained piece of code that would operate and just do something. And so he created object-oriented programming languages for these graphical user interfaces. Now, working on Gypsy, Tesla and his colleague, Tim Mott, started writing down ideas which would, you know, lead to the, you know, which would be important in an interactive computing environment. They started brainstorming what kind of things would we like to have. So they, the two of them developed the idea of basic copy and paste, which is now used as a standard feature. And, of course, they got that name because when people are doing, we're doing layouts, you know, newspaper lights, you would, you would cut you would cut up a square of paper and then you would paste it in there and you'd assemble the paper and you'd cut and paste. So they had the analogy only on the computer screen. Uh, Tesla also believed that computer interfaces should be modeless, where all actions taken by a user at all times are, you know, the same action, as opposed to having software that has different modes. Like, for instance, I was about to ask you what to you give mean you an example, that. suppose you're playing a game. And you might have one mode, which is the game-playing mode, where the, where, where the keyboard moves the cursor around and fires the gun. But you might want to – but then you could also have the communication mode where you type on the keyboard and then you're typing a text message to your friends. So if you're – so there are two modes. So suppose you're sitting there in the keyboard mode, text message mode, and all of a sudden incoming comes and you got to fire them. Well, you hit the key to fire the gun and you send a text message to your friend. So when you've got two modes to operate, frequently users make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's another there also your keyboard has two modes, like caps lock on, caps lock off. So the the, the same pressing of the key will either be a capital J or a small J. Those are two modes. Or you could have you could also have overwrite or insert text. Those are two modes. He did not believe in modes because then people get confused as to what mode they're in, or there are some word processing programs where you might have a command mode where you type a command and then you might have a text entry mode and then you go back and forth. And he just he thought most of the mistakes were because people got confused as to what mode they were in. So he was a, a guy who thought all software should be modeless so that you do the same thing. The same action that you take does the same thing because it's always in one mode. Gotcha. Now, Tesla also invented the frame user-friendly. We use that all the time. Huh. He also 
invented the frame, the the name. What you see is what you get. WYSIWYG. Yeah, because they, we had the problem. You know, you'd see this beautiful picture on the screen, but then you print it, and it looks like garbage. So mm-hmm. you want to what, what on the screen should you be able to print? So what you see is what you get. So he invented that, and he also invented a lot of the you know the backup uh, interfaces that would allow that to happen. Well, as you might imagine, Park was way ahead of their time, and back in uh, 1979, Steve Jobs toured Park, came around there, and they showed him all these great things: the mouse graphical user interface and this was two years after Steve had uh, had <clears throat> started Apple so he liked this stuff mm-hmm. so what Steve did and they and uh, and John uh, uh, Larry Tesler showed Steve Jobs the Xerox Alto which was their personal computer with the graphic graphical user interface and he also showed him Gypsy, which was the word processing program, and Smalltalk, which was the object-oriented uh, program that they could they could interact with. So that was in 1979 that that Steve Jobs uh, toured Park. In 1980, a year later, he poached Tesla from Park, <laughs> <laughs> and he poached quite a few other people. And he started working on a program, a, a, a computer at Apple, which is going to steal all the stuff that he saw at Park. The Apple Lisa, named after Steve Jobs' daughter. Ah, who, who, I didn't know that. Who, yeah, he didn't want to admit that she was his daughter, but everybody knew she was oh, his daughter. Oh, that's right. I remember that from his story. Yeah. 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 So that was the Lisa named after his daughter. Finally, he admitted he named it after her. And so uh, while he was at Apple, now he ended up working for Apple for 17 years. While he was at Apple, he developed an object-oriented a language extension for Pascal, because they wanted to load Pascal on the Lisa, and they wanted to have interact with it on the screen with these objects. So he he made object-oriented extensions for that. And, um, and so he was there. He started in 80. 1990, they moved him over to the VP of Apple's Newton Group, uh, which was, you know, an ill-fated effort. That didn't really didn't go anywhere. If you remember, they had probably before 90, I think they fired Steve Jobs, remember? Yeah. Scully fired Steve Jobs. And, I, and so... And so they moved uh, Tesla over to the Newton Group, which was ill-fated. In 93, he said, i got to get out of this Newton Group. It's going nowhere. <laughs> so he was promoted Apple's chief scientist uh, because he just so frustrated with the progress on the Newton. Well, that's when Scully was running the thing. Scully, didn't, Scully was just not a visionary. By 97, Tesla decided to leave, to leave Apple. And this was when it was – this was before Jobs had come back and – they were struggling financially, and they just didn't think they could afford research. And Scully just wanted to take all the old products and milk them. So he said, this isn't for me anymore. So he left, and he, co- he co-founded a, a company called Stagecraft Software there in Palo Alto in 1997. His team created a programming environment for educational use. But this was in the, around the dot-com crash era. Dot-com crash was around 2000. 1999, 2000. He shut down the company in 2000. They just couldn't sell anything. And he just decided to join Amazon. Mm -hmm. Now, this was a culture shift for him when he joined Amazon in 2001. You see, he'd always lived in Silicon Valley around Palo Alto and all. Uh, Amazon is headquartered in Seattle. So he had to move to Seattle. And so he was was VP in charge of the shopping experience. It was the user (laughs) interface the user interface for Amazon, and he helped improve the Amazon website interface. He developed the book preview program. So a lot of the 
features that you have on Amazon now and you love when you're doing your shopping, you know, Larry was, you know, right there helping develop them. But he only stayed there at Amazon for four years because he missed the culture of Silicon Valley. So then he took a job as VP for user experience for Yahoo back in 2005. And uh, he stayed at Yahoo for about three years. Um, and then he just, he just, they just were all over the place. He just, he just couldn't really, um, he didn't like it there because he had too many products. There wasn't enough focus. And so he left in 2008. Uh, now, he was a big proponent of no modes. Right. So his California license plate was no modes. Starting he was at really 210. pretty hardcore if you put that on a license that plate. That was huh? on his license plate, no modes. His personal website was nomodes.com. And I mm-hmm. looked that up, nomodes.com, even though he, he, he died. It's still active, nomodes.com. His Twitter handle was at nomodes. Huh. <laughs> he was a firm believer that we had to eradicate modes in software to make it easier for users, users to, to navigate. Because you got two modes, the same key does two different things depending what what mode you're in, and then users forget what mode they're in, and then they make a mistake. Mm-hmm. So he died in uh, Portola Valley, California, February sixteenth, twenty twenty, at age seventy four. Wow! I went back and looked at a lot of the things he did there. When he went, when he went back to Silicon Valley, you know, he said there's a culture in Silicon Valley that when you make, when you make money, you don't retire. You actually invest in new startups, and you train these guys and help them become successful. So there's this sense of giving back. And the reason he didn't like Seattle, he couldn't give back to Silicon Valley community. And I looked at a lot of his, uh, you know, you know, he was in a lot of, um, you know, forums and things there. And the guy in the last, uh, you know, the last part of his life was just giving back and trying to trying to help the next generation of entrepreneurs there in Silicon Valley to sort of, sort of keep the engine rolling. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Larry Gordon Tesler, he's uh, one of the big pioneers in user interfaces. And he, a lot of the things you, that you've gotten used to over the years, he was one of the guys who actually developed them. Hope you're paying attention because you can take what we've just taught you, or more specifically, Dr. Schertz, and turn it into free lunch. Stand by for the pop quiz. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and now southwest of Washington on 107.7 FM HD2. In Loudoun County, listen to us on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, you know, we do have modes in here. In our studio, we're not you know, modeless. It's really funny that I would mess up pushing, but I, I just pushed everything out of the out See, of sequence there. The panel was in the wrong mode. Therefore, no. the buttons were, were had a different programming. The operator was in the wrong mode. Okay. That's the problem. There we go. Well, as you know, this is not simply a radio show. This is a classroom of the airways. And that means that we are going to assess whether our class has been listening. And if the class is listening and knows the answer to a, an, assessment, an assessment tool, mm-hmm. which we call the pop quiz... They'll get A-plus for today's session, plus win tickets to fine dining. Now, earlier in the show, I talked about Lawrence Gordon Tesler. He's a user interface expert with computers, and he developed many, many techniques that we are so used to now when we interface with our computers, including cut and paste. But he had a certain belief in how software should be developed, and that belief is reflected in what was on his license plate. So the question is, what was on his license plate? What was on his license plate? If you know the answer to today's question, well, now's your chance. You know the drill. If you're calling from west (laughs) of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're cutting and pasting images of snowdrifts in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else anywhere else may call us on the off-brand international line, 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, yes. And so... Uh, what should you do now? We're just going we're to the gonna, next we're topic. Gonna, we're going to go to a topic because we have to wait for somebody to call. Oh, that's right. And it could be, see, we're both in different modes here. Now, here's the thing. What is it? Here's the idea of the week. Live skin face scans. <laughs> now, now this really sounds a little tacky. I mean, It who, sounds a little weird, who's yes. Gonna, who's going to want to do a, uh, a face scan which is not live skin? That just doesn't sound really really appropriate. No, it doesn't. But it turns out that this is actually kind of important because with face scanning being used for all this ID, 
uh, people could make a mask, a very realistic mask, and then it would work w- for a face scan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, they, they want to find a way to detect live skin. So this German chemical company, Trinomix, which is a, um, which is a, a subsidiary of BASF, promises that it could work, it, it could develop affordable components that could actually detect live skin while it is doing the face scan. And this just will form an extra layer of verification. It says, well, is the skin live or dead? So, you know, we already know that iPhone 11 and the, <clears throat> and the, Google, the Google Pixel 4, they use a 3D map of infrared dots for security, but they can't detect whether it's live skin or not. So Trinomax is going to check on backscatter because there's a little bit of light reflected when they, when they go out there. So they're going to have a little small laser that actually it shines out on the skin and they'll get a back reflection. Mm-hmm. And then they will look at the backscatter, the spectrum of the backscatter that's coming back, and they can tell whether it's live skin or not uh. from the backscatter. And so that is going to turn out to be an excellent method and they said they can do this at low cost so you won't even notice there'll be a difference this will probably be coming out in the next uh you know in the next couple of years because i think this technology is very doable and you know that 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 they have to do this they're relying on it more and more often you know speaking of live versus dead skin we were talking off air about uh, the coronavirus and apparently there's no everybody's got a way to make a buck Uh somebody's figured out a way to print your face on these face masks, which, by the way, we've discovered are are useless. Yes. They really are. I mean, you, you probably get something higher grade that's better off than that. Mm-hmm. But these little just paper thingies, they do nothing. But now you can have your face on it. So yeah, that's really like a, that's really a mu- that's that's much more attractive. But yeah. I, but maybe <clears throat> what they should do because they kind of look like a dog mm-hmm. muzzle. Why mm-hmm. don't they make like you have a dog face? Oh, that's there's an idea. Yeah, but I don't think that, I don't good think idea. I don't think it would sell. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and now southwest of Washington on 1077 FM HD2. In Loudoun County, listen to us on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, 
and IT careers, here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University. This is Tech Talk Radio. The tip of the week. This is fascinating. Tip of the week, magnetizing your screwdriver. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you can buy screwdrivers that are magnetized, yeah. but a lot of times it isn't. And you know, if you're like, and, you've got a little small screw and it falls down. And when you need one, you don't have one. You don't have one. But it's easy to magnetize your own screwdriver. Really? So I just thought this was really nice. You get uh, you get a, a, a strong magnet, like a neodymium magnet, and everybody's got a magnet somewhere in the house. And you, you know, I don't think I do. You can order one. You can order. A, you just order a, a neodymium magnet. Amazon right now. Yeah. One of those, those big U-shaped no, magnets. No, from... no, it'd be a, you know a fairly small <laughs> magnet. Or, or there, you, you might have something like it. Oh, <clears throat> I know, I do. They're hanging on the refrigerator. Yeah, right. Little, but those, those might be too weak. Okay. Those might, or you might have uh, sometimes, like, like if you're a mechanic, there are these little dishes that have a magnetic bottom to, to, yes. you know, to hook on. Yeah. That that magnet's strong, strong enough. enough. That's strong enough. Okay. Then what you do, you just take that magnet and you start at the handle light and run down to the tip. Then you rotate it a quarter thing, start at the handle, run down to the tip, lift it away, start at the handle, run down to the tip. Do that about 10 times. Really? And your and your screwdriver will be magnetized. That's crazy. Isn't that, I mean, that, I, isn't that nice to know? Who would have guessed? <clears throat> because, I mean, there's so many times you get this little tiny, especially if, if it falls down, then you can use the screwdriver to pick up the screw if it falls down. In the case, I now, mean, I, I got in. I got into this because when I'm working on computers, a screw falls in there, and how do you get it out? No, will it stay magnetized in perpetuity? Yeah, it'll stay magnetized for yeah for, for you know years. I mean, what what you're doing, you're aligning the you're aligning the molecules in the uh, in the in the steel. Mm-hmm. Now, now the screwdriver has to be made out of a magnetic material, right? So it has to be attracted to the magnet, otherwise it's not going to work. So, so test your it, screwdriver so it's attracted to the magnet. And if that is, you can magnetize it. And okay. it, it lasts for years. Since we're a testing lab, <laughs> let me ask you this. How do, you, how do you then reverse the process? Suppose you've magnetized it and you don't want it to be anymore. That's uh, just too bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad. Okay, that's very yeah. funny. You're just on fire today yeah, with the jokes. Studies show that we pick up our cell phone hundreds of times a day. Mm-hmm. And that can be undermining our hand-washing efforts. We call our phone the third hand that we never wash. Unless you treat your cell phone the same way as your hands, it's going to be hard to keep all three clean. You ever thought of that, Jim? I don't know. Think about that. I'm thinking. So, you know, you, you, you touch something, you get some germs on it, then you make a phone call. Then all those germs are right on your phone. Yes. You wash your hands. The germs are still on your phone. That's right. You pick up your phone, you the get phone. the germs right back again. Exactly. That's right. Enter phone soap. That's the product of the week. Phone soap. It's a device that kills the germs on your phone using UV light. Wow. You just place your phone in, you just place it into the phone soap uh, container and let it work. And it comes out clean and sanitized. Now, according to an MIT study, alcohol wipes are pretty effective at fighting bacteria. And UV light can be effective under some circumstances. Mm-hmm. Now, there is when I started doing research on this a bit, they said they're not certain that it hasn't been tested on the new coronavirus yet. So they're not really certain. Phone soap did not work so well on SARS, but they uh, but according to the company, they think it will work pretty well on this coronavirus. But I don't see any research on it. Now, on the other hand, phone makers warn you 
not to wipe the surface of your phone off with these alcohol wipes. They said it will destroy the coatings on the surface of the yeah, phone. Yeah, it will. So uh, most thinking, on the screen is is what yeah, we're talking about, right? On on the screen, and so and so this. So I went to the phone soap website, and it's really an easy website to remember. Phonesoap.com. Mm. They're they're sold out. Uh, but you can they're back ordered. You can put in an order there. They they have different models on the go. They've got some that are smaller, some that are bigger. They vary from seventy nine dollars to maybe one hundred and twenty nine dollars. They're back ordered with maybe a delivery in a month. So that was one product of the week. So you know it's it's funny you, you should say that because at other job we had a a scare uh, back toward the toward the very beginning of the coronavirus situation and we disinfected. Uh, a trash can. And then we decided to sit it outside because the best disinfectant in the world is, guess what, sunshine, right? Yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. It's funny that they've used UV light for this. So, okay, let me ask you this, and I'm putting you on the spot here. If you can't get this because it's sold out and you don't want to wipe your phone down with a wipe, what do you do? What can, what can you put on your phone that's so not there- going to— well, there are uh, there are UV lights that you can buy, wands, UV wands. So mm-hmm. you could, I mean, you could, you know, you could probably get UV. Um, Is there any? Probably get a UV. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You probably you could if you had your what if you would put on if you would take your cell phone and put a plastic uh, cover over the screen. Uh huh. And then put it in in a uh, in a case. Then I think you could use an alcohol wipe, but you're not actually wiping the screen not itself. Actually that's the that's screen. what they, they they don't want you to wipe the screen directly with an alcohol wipe. I wonder. So, I wonder if there's anything else that you could use, any other liquid that you could use if you couldn't do this. I I think that's that's the only thing I know about. I'm I'm going to hope that the UV light works. I know in my. Uh, you know, in my um, hot tub, it has a UV light, and so uh-huh. in all of the and all it just circulates the water through the UV light, and then uh, and and it and it sterilizes the water. So UV kills bacteria very well. I don't so, want to think about the fact that you have a hot tub. Yeah, I just that's. Uh, on the other hand, Jim, I'm not doing the show from the hot tub. I just I want to give you that. That's uh, reassuring. I want to give you that visual image. No, I'm sitting here with my tuxedo on in the office. No, you're not. You know, you're doing very. You're wearing very a, cool. a tuxedo t-shirt and boxer shorts. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> now, uh, okay. So we a, don't. We, let me let me interject for a second here. We don't have okay. a winner yet. Uh, the question: Which web browser did James Clark help develop and help create? That's the answer. The phone number to call is 877-936-9333. Continue on, sir. Okay, let's have another product of the week. Okay. This is technology to keep you from touching your face. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm just creating, because we all know if you, you know, I mean, the way you get this uh, coronavirus, you, you touch something, you shake somebody's hand, you get it on your hands, and then you rub your eyes or 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 pick up a hamburger and, and, and get it on the hamburger and eat it. And so you don't want to you don't want to touch your mouth, your eyes, your nose, your ears if, if, if you haven't washed your hands. Studies show that people touch their face 25 times an hour. And it's almost reflexive. You don't even know you're doing it. Mm-hmm. That's once yeah, that's once every exactly. two it's once every two minutes. And so how can you break the habit of something you've been doing for years? So there's something called Jalapeno, no. <laughs> okay, this funny. is the first one. Because 
pretend that you've got jalapeno juice on your hands, mm-hmm. and if you touch your eyes, your eyes are going to burn. Yeah. You touch your mouth, your mouth is going to burn. So you want to keep the jalapeno juice away from your hands. So, so Kim Bernstein, she's a University of Hawaii professor. She designed an app for the fitness tracker. You know, it's like a watch that yeah. fits on your – and so what it is, she actually – because it has an accelerometer in it. So anytime you lift up your hand and it goes close to your face, the tracker starts beeping and vibrating. And uh, so if you get too close, and so you you know you, it's calibrated. And so if you if you're wearing your fitness uh, you know your fitness watch, uh, anytime you get close to your face, it reminds you not to touch your face. I mean, it's really a good idea. It's a very good idea. Ninety nine cents, jalapeno. Now here's the thing. I went to their website, jalapenoapp.com, and yesterday, during the day, their website was up. I went to it this morning around 5 a.m. The website was not up, and it said they had some domain um, registry issues. So uh, it maybe it'll be up in a day or two. Uh, so this is jalapenoapp.com. That was a very good thing. But but now you've got the question, what if you don't have a fitness watch? You know? Yeah, right, exactly. What, what if you don't, what, so there's somebody else, and they, they actually may – oh, by the way, she is going to extend the app, and she's going to write an application for the Apple Watch. So I'd say in about a month or so, Apple Watch people are going to get the same application so they won't be touching their face. Mm-hmm. Now there is another device for somebody that doesn't want to have to buy like a $400 Apple Watch. You can buy a $50 wristband. And so this is the ImmuTouch coronavirus wristband <laughs> you touch and it is uh, and it is $50 and so it's uh, it's it's made by habitwear.com and what they originally did they, they developed this technology for people who who bite their fingernails and mm-hmm. so and they don't they, they don't know they're doing it it, it it buzzes and there's some people that have this um, ailment where they'll pull out their hair and they and they want to stop them from doing it and right. so and so they're different so they had already had this technology in place, so they simply adapted it to no, no touching your face. So you can go to habitwear.com, and and it's got an and so it's got it's a little wristband that, that that has an accelerometer built into it, and um, and it senses your hand move at ten times a second, and if you get close to your face, it buzzes, so that you won't won't touch your eyes, won't touch your mouth, and and a, and a wristband's fifty dollars, and the you know the the software is free. That, that goes with it, and and if you got and normally you touch your face with just one with your dominant hand, but if you're if you're somebody who's ambidextrous, you're touching with both hands. You could buy two wristbands. Yeah. So you go, but then it's fifty dollars each. So that would be habitwear.com. So that was the second device of the week: how to keep from touching your face. Gotcha. Okay, let's talk about Alexa providing guidance for the uh, for the coronavirus information. Amazon announced that you can get information about coronavirus just from Alexa. You just say, you can ask Alexa, Alexa, what do you think I have? Do you think I have COVID-19 or coronavirus? And then Alexa will ask you a series of questions. Do you have a fever? Do you have this? Do you have that? And by answering the questions, she will assess your risk level and recommend whether you should get tested. Mm -hmm. And the voice assistant will use the Japanese Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare guidelines that matches your symptoms. And so 
Now, if you are, oh, they've got another thing that, that's available in the United States and UK. You know, you're supposed to, when you wash your hands, you're supposed to wash your hands for 20 seconds. Yeah. So you can ask Alexa to sing a song for you. No. And she'll sing a song for 20 seconds and you keep washing your hands until the song is over. I'd rather you sing with a choir for 20 yes. seconds. How's that? I know. Yeah. That's just, so everybody's trying to just jump in on this. Uh, on this whole coronavirus thing. This is the first time we've ever had a viral video of the week. No, and you're kind enough to share this with me before the show. And this is uh, done by a 17-year-old uh, student from uh, the United Kingdom, which is another name for England. Exactly, yeah. yes. <laughs> this is, But, you know, this was back, this is the pretentious name, when they want to pretend that the kingdom was worldwide, exactly. but now it's just shrunk to one island. This one's just basically now, just Now, while you're talking now. about this, I'm going to put my microphone up <laughs> to the computer screen so people can see it. Yes. You can hear it there. There it is. Now, the viral video of the week is a brief history of pretty much everything. <laughs> now, this guy goes all the way from the Big Bang up through the creation of the planets, evolution, the... The uh, the the meteor that that hit the the Earth and then killed all the dinosaurs and the emergence of man, then the creation and the evolution of man, the creation of the automobile, the creation of the rocket ship, and then finally a launch into outer space. And along the way, even the the uh, invention of fire and firing of the atomic bomb. There's a lot of things that get eaten in this video. A lot of things get eaten because it's obviously survival of the fittest, mm -hmm. and there are a lot of people that are more fit than others and yes. keep eating each other. Now, he actually wrote this. This is so clever. These are This is actually like a flip book. It's on 2,100 pages, and you flip through it. He did this in about uh, in uh, around 50 jotter that, that books. That was fire right there. Yeah. Now what he did, and and he put this to the uh, you know to this to this really nice music and the sound effects there, which is a great thing. Mm -hmm. Now. Uh, so you look at this thing, and it's, it, it lasts for around 3 minutes and uh, 12 seconds, actually. In the first three days, it was viewed by 1 million viewers. Wow. Now, uh, Jamie Bell, who was the student, uh, was doing this uh, as an art class project. So he created this art class project, made, made a video out of it. It's not bad for a project, no. and, it, uh, and it really is very, very creative. So I recommend you take a look at the viral video of the week. Just simply put a brief history of pretty much everything and then follow that with YouTube, and it'll take you right to the link. You know, And, and you know what? There, there it goes, and you described it in less time than it takes to watch it. Yes. that's Very cool. That's the key with radio. It is. Sound You've bites. You've learned that. Sound, sound bites. bites. Yes. Not sound Small, drags. Not sound buckets. Yes, they're right. That's it for this week. Tune in next week for more Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network. In the Washington area, we're heard on 1500 AM and 1035 FM HD2. If you're in the northwest suburbs, listen on 1039 FM HD2. South and west of Washington, 1077 FM HD2. And in Loudoun County, you can hear us on 104.5 FM. On the web, find us at stratford.edu or federalnewsnetwork.com. You can listen to any of our past shows. Just go to Apple iTunes or Podcast One.
Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.